The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is the returning Danny Warsnop of Asking Alexandria. Their new album, Where Do We Go From Here, is out now. This was a really interesting conversation uh, with Danny, and anyone who knows Danny is a fan of the band, of him, uh, you know that he is kind of a, a no-bullshit person. Um it's probably why you either like him or why you don't. And frankly, it's something that is pretty endearing to me in a day and age where I think a lot of people say one thing and mean another. And Danny is definitely someone who says what he means and you can either like that or not. Um, and I definitely know that there's something, some things in here that I think will definitely catch some people off guard. Probably, I... I can probably already see the headline, honestly, coming from this episode. Uh, but I don't, I don't disagree with the sentiment that he said. Uh, I think it's a very adult way of looking at things and understanding how your brand and your band works. Uh, and it's the unfortunate thing that I don't think a lot of other people are willing to be as are willing to be as honest as Danny is in regards to where they are in today's climate. Um. But I'll let you hear all of that. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. Let's let's just get right into it because I I have a feeling that's why you, you want to hear this now after I just teased that. So let's get into my conversation with Danny Warsnop, and I'll talk to you on the other side of it. So happy, uh, happy belated birthday! Thank you very much. I, uh, it's funny. Uh, my birthday is coming up in what is today? Today's the seventh, sixth, something like that. Yeah. Seventh. So mine will be thirteen days. So I've been kind of serendipitously thinking about getting older myself, and as the years have gone on, and what I'm looking forward to, and stuff like that, and 
something I was kind of thinking of, and I don't think I've asked since I don't think I've had anyone who's had a birthday uh, upon doing one of these. What are some of your favorite birthday memories? And is there any kind of tradition or a thing that you try to do each year? So I am um, kind of the worst when it comes to that stuff. I don't celebrate at all. Um, okay. I don't celebrate birthdays. I don't celebrate holidays. I work. I uh, I was at my we had a, we had a day off in Pensacola, which is where my offices are. So I woke up and went straight to the office. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was my that was my day off, and birthday was going to the office. Well, I'm sure, uh, you know, that actually kind of brings up something else I talk about quite a bit as I get older. I don't know if, like, people, because I think we're roughly around the same age. I'll be 39 in about two weeks. I think you're in your earlier 30s. 33. 33, okay. So I've been kind of noticing, I don't think people of, like, our age and younger really know how to not fucking be going at all times. Like, I just don't know if it's a thing of our generation or... Or what, but it seems like we just have no sense of like being able to just stop. Like I think people are I wouldn't maybe say like my parents' age, but maybe the generation before them, where it seems like their whole thing was work until you retire and then you do nothing. And then essentially that's when everyone just starts dying because they don't have a fucking purpose anymore. Yeah, golf golf doesn't really keep the blood flowing too good. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly a life purpose. How because some people, I think, uh, you know, I with an episode I'm posting this week with uh, Scotty and Lewis of Carnifex, you know, we were talking a light about how life sort of informs or death sort of informs how you live. And I feel like at times some of us probably don't think too far beyond. I'm probably not making it past 27 or 27 so fucking far away that you don't really think too far ahead in the future as you're getting older and you know, you're, you're kind of a seasoned vet now in the, in the scene and so forth, you know, you have like a, what a 20 year career roughly uh, under your belt at this point. What is, what is it that kind of keeps you going every day? Cause it seems like you are someone that does not stay complacent doing any one thing. You're always constantly looking for the next thing. Yeah. I have absolutely no interest in being in where I am. Hmm. Um, I think I've always, I've, I, I, I do understand the importance of setting short-term goals, but ultimately they are just steps on the way to something bigger. And as long as we have that bigger thing that we know we're pushing for, mm-hmm. I think that's how we stay active. That's how we that's how we uh, keep pushing forward and keep giving having the motivation to keep going. Like I, I knew what my something bigger was from a pretty young age, so. While I didn't quite know how to execute it, and I did kind of get lost in the moment for kind of those first ten years uh, of my career, uh, I had something of a of an epiphany, or perhaps a rude awakening, where I lost everything, and I became very aware of how far from my goal I was. Mm. And that's when everything changed, and it. Uh, to quote the the great Grant Cardone, success is our duty. Um, so it's we you got to kind of keep those those big picture and long term goals in sight. Not get lost on the short term. If something short term doesn't work out, 
it doesn't matter. You just find a different door to get through. Um, that's where that's where it comes from for me. Is I want more, mm. and I, I I know where I want to be in terms of success and in terms of stability. And I know that I have to work a lot to get there. I mean, I'm very fortunate that all the things that I do, I enjoy. Um, and I'm always trying to add more for that reason. Because I enjoy doing it and it's, you know, it's all converging together to hopefully one end game. What's kind of interesting about that is, is you're kind of saying you're, you're maybe not the best at setting shorter term goals is it makes me wonder do you find are you the type of person that it's harder for you to just stay on the path of the one thing because you sometimes i think when you have like a big goal as opposed to making little steps to get there and where you can kind of keep track of your progress and kind of the accountability factor of that i feel like if you're just like i want to get there how do you get there i don't know but i'm going to get there like i feel like there's a little bit of a, a journey there that's that's the purpose of the short term goals but you can't be married to them too much because if one of them doesn't work out and you thought this was what the path was going to be, very often we're wrong. So we need to be able to change course, re-divert, re-strategize. And that's kind of, that's where a lot of my diversity and what I do comes from. Because I can't get to my end goal with one thing. So I have to bring a bunch of things together. But I knew that in the first place. I didn't necessarily know what all the things were. There isn't the right answer to it. I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of businesses you can you can build to reach a, to reach a level of success. It doesn't have to be one particular one. Um, but I knew that I needed to, to do more than one thing. I knew music wasn't going to get me there uh, <laughs> because it, it, it's not it's not feasible now. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really feasible then. If you, if you think back on even back when musicians were making obscene amounts of money for not really the craziest careers, like the ones who actually have money going on, they they were invest, reinvesting that elsewhere. Well, I think that's something that's kind of interesting about the music business now when I look at it from being just even this. Like, you know, I've talked quite a bit on this show about pivot points in your life where you realize maybe something's not working the way you want it to. And instead of completely just abandoning all the hard work you put into something, finding a way to pivot and then move forward. And I feel like it's funny because like for me, you know, I tried doing the band thing. That wasn't for me. I tried booking shows. I got tired of egos and that whole side of things got ruined for me. So now like even going to shows has kind of been completely ruined. And then it's like, you know, I started writing about shows and then I started doing this and this has been the one of the few things in my life I've done where I see a direct correlation to the work I put into it, to the success and the, you know, the things that I've been able to achieve. But it also it took a little bit of everything I did along the way to kind of get me here. And it's a thing where I don't think a lot of people understand that sometimes those moments where you kind of hit a wall, it's not the well, fuck it, I guess this is done. It's like, no, keep searching, find that door and just kind of pivot and go look for something else that allows you to continue on your journey failure I, I don't think is a thing it's, we fail when we stop and something not working isn't necessarily a failure it's exactly how you were saying where it's, it's, that could just be an avenue to a different direction you just 
contacted the wrong way or in the wrong direction. Um, you've got to look for yeah where that pivot point is. So that's very important. I think uh, as much as I I, ugh, I fucking hate. I hate that I still retain this, but there's so much truth to it. My time working the front end as a manager at Sam's club, their whole motto used to be, it's not a failure. It's an area of opportunity for a learning experience. And it's one of those things that like, I used to hate that. Like when they would say, it's like, no, 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 it's not a failure. Or you didn't like something didn't, it's, it's an area of opportunity. And you're like, it's so fucking stupid. And as I get older, I'm like, but it's absolutely fucking true. It's uh, it's it's one of those things that, you know, I think that's the thing is like, you know, those those cliche sayings, they're cliche because they're accurate. And it's like, you know, like the one it's like, it's not how many hours you put in. It's what you put into the hours. Like it's yep. it's all of those things that like when I do this podcast and sometimes I don't want to fucking do this week in and week out. And it's like, but I've set an expectation and there's things that people expect of me. And there's almost an accountability of, of doing it for yourself. Like finding the why of when you, why you wanted to do it, why you continue to do it and what it, you get out of it. And to me, I feel like that's another huge thing that I feel like, you know, the name of your album, where do we go from here? Like, to me, it's almost like redefining your why again in an yeah. album title to me. The, the, and the why can be a big challenge for people. I have to ask myself it so many times a year. Every time we're booking a tour or about to go on tour, I have to ask myself that because I don't like touring. <laughs> I would very happily never go on tour again. Um, so I have, to, I have to remind myself why we do it, what, why it's important, and why ultimately it is an obligation I have. Uh, this might be a weird question to, to kind of put you on the spot to ask, but does your why for touring change? Like, has it changed over the course of your touring career? Definitely. Um, I think now, now there's a lot more. Sorry, it's got distracted. I was taking the clothes off right in front of me now. I can sort of see it behind you in the mirror, by the way. <laughs> No, beautiful lady. Let me camera at the mirror that's right in front of you. Are you, are you on camera? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're filming right now. Well, tidy there. I'm just looking all casual. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it definitely changed. I think now I feel, like, especially in the next few, the next year, like, it's kind of an obligation to, to the we spent such a, such a large time away from touring, uh, which they spent having children, which are notoriously not the cheapest things in the world. To have. <laughs> Till so, tax time. I want to make sure, I want to make sure they're good. I want to make sure that everyone's got cash flow and income coming in the door to take care of their families and to set their families up for success. So that's definitely a big one of the why's for me now. Is kind of I, I know part of that responsibility is mine. Because if I if I say no to touring, that really limits what can come in the door. Well, what's I interesting like, about I, that? I like play, I like playing the shows. I just right. The story, right. No, I mean, I think if you were to ask almost, I'm going to just go ahead and say 90 percent of people who tour, but I'm going to go ahead and say probably 100 percent of them if you really pulled them. Everyone loves the time on stage, hates every other part of the touring yeah. aspect of. Yeah, it's like the hurry up and wait game. Um, But the thing that like is interesting to me about the candidness of your answer there 
is I think as people in bands, especially of a level like where you're at, like, you know, Corbin, like a friend of mine is your lighting director and like you employ people like you are a business and it's not just the band people. And that's all you have to worry about. Like now there is you employ people and there are people who depend on you for their livelihood. And it becomes this thing where when you get to be a band of that level, I think there is a sense of, I have to continue to do this because other people rely on me for their income. And I know that sounds really shitty because it makes it all sound like it's now a product, but I, I, I think that sort of, it is, it, you, you just have to understand that. And I don't think people like hearing that because it's not sexy. It's not the nice thing to say. It's, it's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. And that, that's a, a realization we had. This album is the first one with Trent like that. Um, it's always a very selfish process, bro. I don't mean that in a negative way either, but it's just, we've always just gone in to write the album that we want to make and that we want to hear. Whereas this time, it was we were, we were talking about the album and I eventually said to the guys, I was like, we, we, we've, we've been fed a playbook. We, we know exactly what they want. Let's just make that and do that. Like it, it, The fans have told us what they want. Give them what they want. It doesn't matter. So to me, outside of and the only band I can think of right off the top of my head that that fan services to a degree, good, bad, or indifferent, is ACDC. And to me, like, bless you, um, that is a band that, by and large, most people would say they just write the same songs. They write they've been writing the same song, the same style for forty, fifty fucking years. But we love it. Yeah, and like everyone loves ACDC, so it's weird to me that some people are like, I want the same thing, and then bands don't do it, but you have an example of a handful of bands that kind of have done that, and it works, but it seems by and large people are like, well, don't do that. And to me, what would be interesting is, you know, you're saying the fans kind of gave you a template and and a formula of what do they like that we do, did you find it to be easier or a little bit harder to write something that you felt was what the fans wanted? A little bit of both. Um, it was definitely a harder process to get started. Because mm. a lot of it is tapping into the things I don't do anymore. And I don't, I don't personally have a great deal of interest in. Like, when it comes to like the, the, the heaviest side of music, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Um, it's, it's not my bag. The second someone screams, I'm, I'm so far gone. Um, but so that so that was that was a bit of a challenge. Uh, I mean, just learning how to do that over and do it correctly was the, the biggest challenge of all of them. Um, thankfully, the wonderful David Benitez of Benitez still has not learned how to pronounce his name. I've seen him in two days. I'm like, I'll ask. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he helped me get, get into a place where it's healthy, uh, or as not unhealthy as I think that's possible. Um, and, you know, sounding bigger than it ever did. So that challenge, that was it we were able to overcome. Um, my friend Paul, uh, Paul Bartolme, he helped with some of the writing, um, contextually to make sure that everything felt right and felt appropriate um so that was a, a new part of the experience leaning on other people a little bit 
but again, it's just not appropriate. It's what it's what it's what needed to be done to produce the correct album. This might be a, a weird question, um, but as you're kind of saying that, like some. My mind immediately kind of goes to, do you ever feel a resentment of sorts that people aren't willing to let you individually and as the band grow into maybe what you all want this thing to be? Or adversely, because you and I had talked previously when you were doing your solo album, and you know I had kind of said, I was like, there seems to be just an ev- the approach of everything you're doing around this release. It seems like you're happier than I've seen you do album in a while mainly asking alexandria stuff and to me it would be a thing where i would hope that if a fan is really a fan of you and your creative output that they too would see that and be like well i kind of i want to grow with this band i want them to keep evolving and doing something they can still do those old things because as the old cliche is those albums exist if you want to hear me do that i already fucking did it go listen to it i can still play those songs for you too live but as an artist I'm not the same person I was when I was 18 to 22. I'm this person and this is what excites me and follow me on the journey. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely find myself in a little pockets of resentment about it. But ultimately this is the same way I explained it to the guys who were doing it. James, our president, half naked president. Um, he he was the first one on the on the call. He was like, he was like, well, I want you to love the album as well. And I was like, I'll never buy this album. <laughs> I already get it for free. Um, and I'm not saying I'll make it out of my hate, but it's I want to put the fans first on it. And ultimately, that's what two weeks, three weeks out of my out of my year. That I've spent doing that, I can spend the other 49 weeks making whatever the fuck I want. If that's what Alexandria is to people, then, you know, that's fine. Uh, I am still going to be releasing, I'm going to be releasing more Danny Warsaw music more than I ever have before. I'm going to put out 24 songs next year. <laughs> so it, it isn't much of a concern. Um, now, I don't want people to hear that and then think, oh, Danny's literally just doing whatever the fuck and he hates it just to make money. Sure, money is part of it, it's our job, and people's mouths to feed. But ultimately, if I felt completely disconnected to what we were doing, I wouldn't do it. Right. But I do understand that I. I am the first point of, sac- of sacrifice for it. Where it's, yeah, I wish I could spend my life behind a piano or start doing that stuff. But people want uh, something else from me as well. I think, and this is something I've said on the show quite a bit, because like I said, as I get older, a lot of the people I have on the show, like yourself, have been doing this since essentially teenage years. You know, basically before you're, you know, out of like out of high school, out of whatever, still kind of developing who you're going to become as a person. But now you're thrust into this industry that kind of loves what you do, 
and wanted you. And then the thing that they loved you for now becomes a commodity and a product that they expect from you to then sell. And you're in this weird thing where I, I just, a, I can never imagine what it's like to, to live like that so young because it's, it's such a, it's not a normal way to grow up, especially when you're still figuring out who you are. But then the other thing I, I wonder what it does to people is I feel like a, it makes, it makes you not this sounds so stupid to say it like this. It makes you not adept to the everyday world because you deal in kind of absolutes and that's not essentially how a lot of people are. So when you like at what you're saying throughout this whole conversation to me, I love it because it's honest and it's the conversations I have with people on here and behind closed doors, sitting in the back room of a bus where it's like, these are the real things that people fucking say and think and do, but most people aren't willing to say it because it, like I said earlier, it doesn't, it doesn't sound nice. Yeah, I think it's been a very recent shift for me and where I just stopped caring about trying to sound nice. Because regardless of what I said, people found a way to be upset at me about it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, it, and, it and it's funny, and this is hopefully is a, something of a, of a learning point for people listening, where it's like the response to me just being upfront about it has been overwhelmingly positive. Well, people being like, oh, I do respect that. See, ironically, ironically, a lot of the stuff we were doing, we were getting called like sellout, go-to accusations, and we were doing the dictionary definition of selling, of, of the, dic- the dictionary definition opposite of selling out. We were just doing whatever we wanted to do, regardless of what anyone else wanted from us. Right. There could be an argument for we're selling out now. It's like, no, I'm just doing them what they want. And I'm disregarding what like my ideal album would be. Because this album isn't for me, ultimately. But <laughs> on the flip side, they're like, see, now you're back to your roots. And I was like, bitch, my roots was like Brian Adams. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I feel like for me, I have gotten shit for being a predominantly metal hardcore podcast and you know something i'll talk about like oh i like early right right as you clicked on i was listening to the d'angelo uh, voodoo record one of my favorite records of all time and like i'm wearing a doja cat shirt and like i brian adams like there was probably a span of a month where i was just listening to waking up the neighbors going this album still sounds fucking incredible yeah. Like Mutt Lang produced the shit out of this fucking thing and it still sounds relevant. And there's things like that where people are like, I don't even think you fuck with hardcore and metal really. And I'm like, I do, but I also really like other things. And it's okay to like those other things because they satiate something else in me that I want. Now, I recently had a revelation going to a, a hardcore show and I was like, I don't get this release from physically going to a show only here this is the only thing that makes me feel this like i'm i'm releasing something it's cathartic i can't go see janet jackson and have that same vibe like and i i actually remember getting pissed at janet jackson like when i'm watching and she's playing black cat and like i'm like your whole fucking band's like obscured in the shadows this is a fucking ripping guitar solo let him come out and fucking get him some and my wife just like, cause I'm doing a show review and I'm writing all this. And she like puts my, puts her hand over my phone and goes, look around. No one gives a fuck about that. She goes, look at that couple down there. And there is like a black couple dressed to the fucking tens. 
getting down to this music that probably was what they danced to in in high school at their like prom or whatever. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Different things provide different experiences. And that's really what it's all about is understanding that. And unfortunately, I feel like the scene, the genre doesn't allow for the growth of understanding that this can be something, but it can only be this amount of your life. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think hopefully it's something that people outgrow because it didn't used to be the case. I mean, back in kind of before, I think before the early 2000s, it didn't, it didn't exist. People had such broad music taste. Everybody started a little bit in the 80s, and I, I had this theory a while back, and I, I kind of started putting it together live during an interview, and I've kind of thought, had the opportunity to think about it a little deeper and close in on what I think it is. But I remember in the 80s, obviously prior to the 80s, like, rock and roll was the biggest. That was the genre that beat everything. And there were all these people who loved rock and roll and loved heavy metal, and then out of nowhere, rap shows up. And just almost overnight, just takes over. And then it starts creeping into the rock and metal. And the, the people who, they were kind of outcasts, but the, the thing they liked was the biggest thing. And it made them feel a little, a little more included. Now that's being taken away from them. Like the thing they had is now being taken away. I think the younger generations now, while they don't have, they haven't experienced that exactly, it might just be something that was passed down a little bit within the attitude. It's like, this thing that they love needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. And you can't pay to give the attention anywhere else because it will go through, otherwise it will go away. Like people feel like they're having to keep it alive. Not realizing that you can just, you can like everything. It's not going anywhere. I would almost, because I've, interestingly, I've kind of been wondering sort of two two parts to your, your, your own thinking about this. I've gone in two directions. One, I wonder if because how deep I'm into pop and like R&B and hip hop and stuff like that, where you see more inclusivity of artists working with each other because they realize by putting each other on and the cosign, it's going to benefit everybody. Yeah. And you don't see that in rock and metal as much. And my thought is, is it the ego of the performers? Is it the labels going or management going, You no, you can't do that because then you're going to put this band on and then they're going to come and maybe take the money that you have because the pie for you is only this big. So any more hands getting into it and it's going to take away your money. And I wonder if it's more of that which has caused its own downfall or if it's literally – and the other thing I've been wondering and thinking about is, you know, that sort of era you're talking about that, you know, the 70s and really 80s, you know, like when you throw on something like Journey Faithfully or like Old Elton John or like Rod Stewart and stuff like that. You know, I remember being at a Rod Stewart concert and when you actually start seeing a lot of these more legacy acts like a Rod Stewart train and stuff like that. And even hip hop, I'm noticing this. They don't just play their own shit. They play songs that everyone fucking knows and has a great time listening to. Like we went and saw Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg plays like Tupac shit and like a whole bunch of other things. And it makes me realize that they're in it to just have fun. And I also just wonder what makes that era so timeless and why do people, regardless of how much decades have gone by, why do we all come back to that? And why isn't there anything that has 
other than Foo Fighters is really the only band I can think of. What, what is the next multi-generational band that will stand the test of time? And I don't know. And I know those are two opposite ends of the same kind of conversation, but that's where my mind keeps going with it. Yeah. The, the, the first thought you had from the inside, or at least from our inside, that hasn't been a thing. I think it was more, I know early on there was definitely kind of a stigma against it. Like it was a little bit taboo, and it was like it was something that was done very rarely, and it was very sacred. Whereas now I want to work with everybody. We had this great thing of Royal Lynn come up the other night. I'm just, I like, I think the the person who really shone a light on it for me, which leads per- perfectly into your second point too. Jelly Roll does an incredible job. His whole show is like half of it is his own music. Yeah, and the songs people love, and he's got like eight or nine different people coming up singing with him every night. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so I think that for 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 a genre and a community of people that preach inclusivity and community so, so loudly, it feels very not inclusive, <laughs> not community centered. Absolutely. Um, kind of want to shift gears a little bit because I I don't really. Actually, I wrote something down uh, just because this is how old I am. I had a thought listening to something. and I literally wrote it down. So you're not I'm not bullshitting when I say I wrote it down. Um, But I put it on a note in my phone uh, because I didn't want to try to read all that. But I was listening to, as I do, a bunch of different podcasts from all different spectrums of entertainment. And so I was listening to the Whiskey Ginger podcast with Andrew Santino, who's a, a comedian actor. And he was talking with Carrot Top and in it and I'm going to paraphrase this and I'm just going to like condense it down. So go listen to the conversation because there's a lot of good shit in there. But um, they were basically talking about when people hate on someone's success and growing to have thick skin, but also that people might focus on the negativity, the actual artist of those receiving the negativity versus realizing that they're on the come up and just should enjoy their achievements. Uh, Something that I oddly feel like maybe you can speak to since it seems like the vocal minority of the internet would have us believe that your band someone maybe like a five finger or a nickelback are the worst bands ever and have been making music terrible for so long. But it's like, you can't have a career that has been sustained as long as yours and play to the crowds that you do without having success. And to me, like uh, something I was going to ask you is, is that kind of hard to navigate? Like the multifacetedness of all that. Yeah, it it is. It's really, it, it, it is really difficult and it's, it's incredibly easy and incredibly tempting to lose yourself in those comments and those, uh, they say negative thought process, thought processes. Um, I have to go back and like look at numbers myself. But we've been on a very, very steady incline for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had a dip. Uh, Touring-wise, we, we did because we weren't touring. And that's to be expected. That's, you know, that was a little bit of a rude awakening for us a couple years ago. I was like, oh, we need to rebuild here because we've just been away for too long. We've been away. It was, we kind of earned a reputation for being untrustworthy because, uh, I mean, the first one, very much not our fault. Uh, everyone in the world started coughing. Um, <laughs> so that's why we got cancelled. But our, t- our 
our tour back. I got laryngitis a weekend and we had to cancel. We just canceled some festivals and then there was some other shit going on like behind the scenes that it's not my place to say. We canceled some more things. And then we did Europe and James broke his foot and we canceled that. So it's we have rebuilding to do both in just people's faith in the show and people's trust in it to actually show up. Um, but we understand that and it's while it sucks and it's 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 a difficult thing. You know, it's it's a it's a part of the job and it's a part of the the, the hand we were dealt. So we we're getting on and doing it. But aside from that, like we haven't had a dip. Uh, and if you if you choose to believe the comment section on YouTube or Instagram, which as I always say is where good people go to die, uh, we we fell off years ago. But then I also <laughs> I, I get to go online and I see. I see a couple of friends of mine, Ronnie Radke being one of the, the primaries where he's getting told that that he's been falling off for years and Lord knows, regardless of how you feel about him, that dude's career has done anything but fall off. <laughs> he's lived up to his band name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to shift uh, and talk about your tequila company, you know, getting to hear you on drinks with Johnny, you know, friends, uh, you know, we've had Johnny on and Sam and the guys are, are homies. So it was interesting to hear. Cause I, you know, I'm kind of, like I said, getting older, I'm getting terrible at really wanting to engage with social media. Like, the, like I've kind of made the comment uh, joking the other day, you know, or, someone commented they're like oh your podcast isn't on some platform and i didn't i've never heard of it and i was like dude it literally fucking exists like everywhere it could like the, the big ones it's on there and i go and i was like dude i remember when everyone's like you got to be on stitcher so i fucking put it on stitcher stitcher's gone now it's fucking gone it like doesn't exist and i go the amount of time i spend to put something somewhere and engage in all that shit it's like i don't want to so like all these new things coming out i don't want to keep up with it and so all that really is to say that potentially your tequila company might have been a thing you've announced and been doing for a while. I only just heard about it once you did that episode posted with drinks with Johnny. So how long has the process been to start the company and how, how involved in it have you been? Um, it was my brainchild. Okay. I, I didn't, I didn't show up and buy a finished product. Like we, that's what I, they did. <laughs> came up, I came up with it a few years ago, um, and then you know it was just an idea I was throwing around. And um, as you were sat with a good friend of mine, now business partner, and we were just drinking, and he was like, "Let's just do it." And I was like, "Well, I mean, I did look into it, Corey. It's a great deal of money, um, and <laughs> a lot of time and a lot of." And industry stuff that we don't know about because we've never been in that industry on that side of a bar. Um, and he was like, we'll figure it out. Like, we've, we've both started companies and done things that we know nothing about and had success in it. So, fuck it, let's just try. Uh, and that was, I'd say about 18 months ago-ish. Um, and we're, we're waiting on our first shipment to land in America right now. It was a very difficult process. We had to learn to be really squeaky wheels to get into doors that we weren't supposed to be allowed to let in, allowed to be let into. Um, but you know, we pulled it. We pulled it together, and we have an incredible product that is. Our, our first shipment's already gone. We're waiting for it to get here, so that it can go <laughs> to everyone who's ordered it. There aren't any bottles left, but 
there aren't even any shelves for it to go on. So we're, we're already waiting on our second and third orders as well to hopefully not be sold out of those, which is a great problem to have. Right. It's now just a matter of, you know, funding rounds and investor meetings because it's as, as nice as it is to have the success that I've had. The company's grown to a point very quickly where I can't afford to fund it. Well, I th- the amount of product we need is so high. Well, I think that's a thing. Actually, I'm going to turn on my light because I don't like looking in the dark. There we go. A little bit more light. Um, I think that's you know something like I was saying earlier. You know, coming from more of a food and retail background, and finding enjoyment in shows like Shark Tank and a lot of these like. Uh, the profit. If you remember, if you ever saw that show, um, it gets interesting when you start understanding that there's, you know, taking an idea, then putting money into it, building something up, you know, it's, it's almost akin like a band. Like you, you've already proven that you can take something that no one cared about, start investing in it, you know, putting your, your sweat equity into it, which is the songs and so forth and touring, and then building it into a brand that people recognize and want to invest in and so forth. But there is a thing as you were like, where did he sold our first shipment? And then the next one and the next one. And I was like, see, now you're at the point in like Shark Tank where they talk about like, what are you going to do with the capital we're going to give you with the investment money? And it's yeah. like, well, I need to grow because we're at a point now where I can't keep up with everything. And either it's going to cause me to go under because I can't get the product out in time uh, for the people who've already spent the money or like there's just the scale of, of growth and yeah. To me, what gets interesting when you start getting into to the booze space, because you know here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I've been fortunate to work with a, a, a work for a brewery company here, and they also do spirits. And it's a thing where kind of learning that side of stuff and learning how distribution deals work, and you know how you can't sell to certain areas or like you know it's keel. Like you made the joke on drinks with Johnny. Uh, yeah, you can't make it here in the States as the, the beer company I work for, they made it tequila and then got hit with a cease and desist. Cause you can't sell tequila here in the States. Um, so it becomes this thing where now all of a sudden, if you didn't know that you're like, well, shit, how do I find something out of the country? Now that's going to cost money to import it. Plus all the tariffs and all that shit. Like now you're just eating more money that you probably didn't even pre-plan on if you didn't know those things. And I think that's the interesting thing about this to me, like, because you didn't necessarily really talk about the the, the tequila that much um, is learning all of that. To me, I think that's the interesting part of starting a business for somebody is the growth and all the trials and tribulations along the way. Yeah, it was we were having our bottles made in China that ended up getting all screwed up, so we had to, you know, source glass. I don't, I, I hadn't even like that was the it wasn't. I mean, it, it seems obvious, but it wasn't even on my radar in the beginning that. I have to can I go on for a second and ask, can I ask the question since you're talking about the glass, how long did it take just for the concept of the bottle? That was relatively quick. My, uh, mm. we, we came up with the first draft was one Corey came up with. Um, and that was cool. We kind of adapted it over a, a couple different iterations. Um, and then we settled on one that didn't take very long for us to change before someone pointed out. They said, the top of that looks like a butt plug. <laughs> I said, well that's changing man <laughs> um and then i was actually i was watching the great gatsby hmm. original One, or the the remake the remake okay and i just i love art deco stuff and i was watching it because 
I was redoing my house at the time and I wanted it to just be super art deco-y. And obviously, I mean, that's the design era of that movie. So I was watching it for a lot of ideas. And I mean, there's that very geometric logo. I was like, I sent him that and I was like, this should be what our bottle feels like. And mm. it was about a day later, he sent me the, the first mock-up of the bottle we ordered from China, which was the final bottle until recently. And then they, they messed up all that order and then they were like, yeah, we can get them to you in two years. And I was like, I can't just pay to keep a company afloat for two years that doesn't have any product, hoping that these bottles arrive and they're, they're correct. So then we had to source glass, redesign. Uh, we eventually found a French company who have a factory a couple miles from our distillery and our farm in Mexico. So that kind of, it came together conveniently because now they can just go on the back of a pickup truck and get taken to the factory instead of being shipped across the world where more stuff can go wrong and another customs agent can stop them. Um, getting getting them back into America, that's that's been a pain in the ass as well, but how how did you decide? I mean, tequila is one of the I mean, I guess really spirits as a whole is one of those things where there's so many different ways you can go with the flavor profile. And a question I used to like to ask uh, people when I was interviewing them or chatting with them, you know, especially when it came, if I knew they were beer drinkers or spirit drinkers, it would be like, you know, what would you or your band taste like in a cocktail or a beer? Like, what would you be? Um, Because I like the idea and you sort of alluded to it earlier uh, when watching the great Gatsby, where it's like, sometimes you can see something, but to parlay it and articulate it in a completely different, different sense literally and figuratively i think is really interesting so how did you land on your flavor profile for what your tequila is we had some pretty good starts just from tequilas we loved um the original recipe casamigas was great the reposado um they changed it after uh clooney sold the company Mm -hmm. uh the cut cost which is that happens. Same happened with Sammy Hagar's tequila. Yep. They give a company a billion dollars. The first thing their shareholders want to see is profits. <laughs> They're cool. If you trim the fat, we want to start making this money back. That's a lot of money. Um, so the first one of that was really good. I liked the sweetness of it. I liked the vanilla and the caramel in, the, in their repo. But I wanted it to be a little more traditional. Uh, but not all the way like a Fort de Laser tra- traditional. Because we like that. Who songs have a great one that we loved, especially their Anejo Cristalino. And that was where our Anejo started. Where it was like, cool, this is the this is what we need to beat. And we we basically we tasted that which has been the most fun part of this job so far. We tasted <laughs> so many tequilas. And basically figured out what our couple favorites were. And then we're like, cool. Here's what we love about these. Here's what we wish were different. And we just pieced it together from different things. Um, we partnered with an incredible tequila house, uh, Casa Maestri, who have been uh, rated the number one tequila, uh, the number one tequila house in Mexico, which means the world because you can't make tequila anywhere else. 
Um, <laughs> and yeah, we were just very, very fortunate in that. And they they were very accommodating because we still wanted it to be with no additives. All of our flavoring is done, and the the evolution and maturing of the flavor is just done with oxygen and time. Um, so they they really worked with us well on that, and we were able to get everything exactly where we wanted it to be. And I don't even think we imagined quite how much we were going to love the finished product mm. or how good it could have been until we got there. And I remember the last time we flew in, we sat and they they had extra ones for us. We're like, we think this is going to be the one. We think this is what you wanted. We have some other options as well, but we think this is what you wanted. After, you know, six months, eight months, however long it was, of us going back and forth. And Corey and I both just sat down and took one sip of each and was like, we're done. <laughs> we don't even need to taste the other one. Like, that's it. It's funny, you mentioned one of my favorite tequilas, and here in Michigan, we can't get it. And whenever... Fortaleza? Yeah, Fortaleza. That's so good. Um, well, I have to go to Chicago to go get it um, a lot of times. and But it's, it's interesting because, like, I love when you go through the process of trying something. Like, you know, as I'm drinking a tequila right here... Um, I like one of my favorite things is always going new places and trying something I've never seen before. Like the first time uh, going to Los Angeles and we stayed at a a pretty nice hotel that had a a really swanky bar in it. And I saw this intriguing bottle of gin called monkey 47 and never had seen it before, but the, the, it looked like a potion bottle for lack of a better term with an old cork top and all this kind of stuff. And it just looked cool. And so I asked for uh, a glass of it neat and the bartender just looked at me like I had like a fucking shrunken head and was like, no ice, no, no ginger beer, no, no nothing. And I was like, no, because I want to taste the spirit. I want to find out what that is. As it is room temperature, because that's where all of the flavors and everything that are in it, you're going to find I go, what kills me is when people will need ice or freeze their, their gin or tequila or whatever. And I'm like, you're fucking ruining it. Yeah. Uh, That's and not the one you like. No, clearly it's not. Cause you're muting all of the flavors. <laughs> um, but it's, it just gets interesting what people can pick up on. Like uh, there was a bar that no longer exists here in town. And one of my favorite things about it is on a, on Wednesday nights, they used to have half off everything. And I got to the point where I knew all the bartenders. So I would just make my way through the, the back really high, ex- like expensive scotches and bourbons and all that. And I get charged a Bud Light or two for it. Um, and, you know, it was a thing where I learned that like with scotches, like I'm more of a lowland scotch person. Some people like highland scotches, some people, you know, and it gets interesting when you start kind of finding your things uh, in, in spirits and, and beers and so forth. And it gets interesting when some people can pick out different things. So to me, I feel like that process for you would be from me hearing you talk about it. It's interesting because. You're, you know, you're talking about like the caramel notes and all these kind of things and wanting to keep it as pure as possible. And to me, I go, I'm intrigued because that's, that would probably be something I'd pick up on where I'm like, oh, it tastes, I don't taste a bunch of other bullshit. I'm just tasting the product as it is in its pretty much natural state. Yeah. I wonder if this is lost on a lot of people. Uh, I think, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely something you have to develop a passion for. 
Um, I'm sure there are many people out there who are going to take a sip and they go, yeah, that tastes like tequila. <laughs> I am the exact, I am that way with wine. Mm. It tastes red or it tastes white, but it tastes like wine. Um, but it's because you... I don't, it's because I've never enjoyed wine. Mm. Um, so I feel like you would enjoy port based on some of the flavor profiles you say you like at least yeah. in tequila and so forth. Are you a fan of port wine then? I, I've not messed around with it. Mm, it's really good. That's like one of my go-to like for wines. That's usually porter or red for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to stretch my legs a little bit. Oh, I mean, that's why I got to swirl the glass. See the legs. Yeah. Um, what is, I mean, when you're looking at launching a tequila, are you starting with just kind of something more baseline? Like, are you looking to release all, like, are you going in here Reposado, like Blanco, or are you just kind of going with one that you want to showcase as like your brand? No, we have our Blanco, which is very agave forward. It's very traditional. Um, Cameron from asking, he's a, he's a big Blanco fan. And he was, he was someone I was very interested in having him try it. Uh, he studies tequila more than I do, um, and, and he loved that one. Uh, we have our Repsado, which is which was my baby from the start. And then we have our Anejo Cristalino. Uh, we do have a Mezcal and a traditional Anejo and an extra Anejo on deck. They are not launching just yet, but they will be uh, kind of launched over probably next year. But yeah, no, we're, we're hitting the market with all three, and it was originally just going to be a slow roll. Uh, in Florida and then spreading it out from there but the demand was so quick so fast that now you know, we're in meetings with investors and funding being like cool we need we need this <laughs> we need this seven to eight figures worth of your money and we're just going big national I think what uh, would be interesting to me is to see especially like as you're saying you got different NAOs because uh, something Something that's been interesting with spirits, I think, recently that I've been noticing is how it seems like there's – actually, let me back it up just a touch. Because something that I've been saying to a lot of people, because when you say, like, do you want to try this gin? Do you want to try this tequila? A lot of people are like, I fucking hate them. And I think what it really has boiled down to and I've figured out is you don't you don't hate gin and you don't hate tequila. But the entry point to a good gin and a good tequila, like, you've got to spend the money. Because, like, if you go low end, it's shit. It's not like vodka and whiskey bourbons where you can get something decent at a pretty nominal fee. Um, so that kind of being said, what's been interesting is to kind of see how we're, I feel like, advancing in tequila and gins from my perspective where you're kind of starting to see the a good product kind of becoming a little bit more affordable. And really the first time I saw that, and you're going to kind of laugh when I, when I say this was 1800 making an inhale that was only like, like 45 or 50 bucks, but it was yeah. pretty solid considering that's kind of a, a pretty garbagey tequila in my opinion. Like it's good yeah. when you're doing shots of tequila at a bar and you don't want to pay a bunch. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a couple houses that have definitely been able to bring those prices down. Who songs brought it down a bunch? Uh, I mean, Casamigas when they came out, they they were they were pretty low. They were in the thirties. Um, what we learned real quick was just through market research. Most people, when when they think oh like a nice tequila, their brain goes to I'm going to try and not vomit when I say this, Patron, um, and it's which is not nice tequila at all. But that's where their head goes. 
and of course they've seen like class azul bottles or 42 bottles or like you know some primas and stuff but that's they don't even register those on their list um i've probably never asked even what they cost they just look at them and go no <laughs> um so the most important thing for us when it came to figuring out pricing and this was a, a silver lining to not getting our bottles from china because they were more expensive and we would have had to have priced accordingly um we just, just pri- we just price matching casamigas and patron wow okay but with a tequila that should be priced a lot higher it's it's funny because like i actually was going to ask you if you ever watched entourage and like at least the last season where the whole uh on avion um so I remember when Avion finally started breaking here in the States and uh, during, I think it was during the pandemic, I bought a bottle of the Avion 44 when I thought initially it was kind of sold as like, there's only, we're only making a select amount and then that's it. Like we're never making this again. Clearly that has been a lie. They've made it in several iterations uh, to the point where I ended up spending like $400 on the giant fucking like saber that lights up from underneath. Yeah. And to me, sometimes the price point it does deter like you know when people find out like Fortaleza I'm paying like 120 bucks for a fifth and they're like that's so much fucking money it is but to me it's the same as like when I got gifted from my parents a bottle of Jack Daniels that was a very very limited uh, run from when I was born so it's like it was aged it was I think I opened it when I was 25 and it was 25 years old for, yeah, 25 years old from then, which it doesn't age once it's in the bottle, but still. Um, And it's a thing where some people might look at that as a waste of money to me, as I've kind of learned, it's cool to have nice things and share it with people because now you're creating a new memory and something that is shared between people. And I think that to me, when there are people who don't understand why I'm as into drinking and I'll, I'll break it down into that where I like drinking because I think there's a camaraderie and just a, a thing of sort of what we've been doing this whole time. You're, you're not drinking necessarily like I am, but we're not on our phones. We're connecting. We're having a conversation where I mean, I'm very literally on my phone. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> but it, it's a, okay. But it's a thing where to me, that's one of the joys of why I enjoy having good things and having good spirits and drinking yeah. with people because it takes it back to, before all the distractions of, of human interaction. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I obviously have a lot of skin in the game when it does come to drinking and liquor, but <laughs> I, I, I do think it is. And I'll be the first person to tell people, if, someone's, if someone just genuinely just isn't into tequila, especially if they're not into my tequila, they shouldn't be fucking spending that much money on it anyway because they're not into it. Go, go buy something cheaper or if you just want something in the, in the house if, if someone comes over that likes tequila yeah maybe don't buy a 60-70 bottle of tequila but if, it, if, you, if you've explored it and it's something you enjoy honestly fucking treat yourself it's, it's, but spend a little bit more money and actually enjoy it or spend less money and get do the drunk bit that's cool that's fine but really not enjoy the process I personally, I would rather spend a little bit more and enjoy getting there. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, literally I was texting my wife because uh, I was making the joke that, you know, I got paid today. And I was like, I played this game where I hurry up and pay all my bills and then go, okay, how much money do I have to last for the next two weeks yeah. <laughs> after paying, being responsible? 
And I was like, Hey, do you want to go out uh, Saturday night for a nice dinner? Like there's a place here where we know it's a craft cocktail bar. And so I was like, do you want to go out for dinner at this place? Like my treat. And she was like, Ooh, I don't know. Um, and to me, like there are people who are, who would see the bill we'll end up getting. And you know, half of it, a good hundred dollars of it is just craft cocktails. And people be like, the fuck would you spend that much on? drinks and it's like because they're delicious and they're like yeah. it's a it's an art form honestly um and it's the experience um yeah. you only get to go around yeah. this world once fucking enjoy it yep um which feels actually like a, a fitting place to end this because i know you got to get ready for your show and probably do vocal warm-ups and all that but um is there anything you would like to plug or anything online that you want to plug oh. <laughs> the easiest way to direct people everywhere is probably via, I think it's on all my social medias. Um, there's a little website link. It's also dannywarsnop.com. But on all my social medias, which are all, all Danny Warsnop, everything's there. Asking Alexandria Touring is there. Asking Alexandria's website's there. Uh, my touring, my music, my everything. Uh, all my photography stuff's there. My Look, I forgot to talk to you about that. I wanted to talk about that, but I forgot. <laughs> Well, we've got an excuse to do it again then. I, I believe we we're go. coming through Grand Rapids in a few weeks. Uh, uh, not Grand Rapids. You're coming to Fort Wayne. Oh, Fort Wayne. That's right. And you're in Detroit. You're in Detroit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. On my birthday. <laughs> the 20th. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, yeah, that's all up there. And all the links to Assassinato. And we have a salsa company too, Nectar. That's up there as well. I'm uh, intrigued. I, I will have to keep an eye on the, the tequila when it is available to purchase so I can try some and add it to my growing collection of tequilas as well. Absolutely. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for taking the time. Enjoy the, your tour. And I I know I was planning on coming out to see you guys on my birthday and hang out with Corbin. I think the plan tentatively now with my wife and I is to come see you guys in Fort Wayne. So if you happen to have some of the tequila, maybe I, I can enjoy a, a sip of it and try it finally. Definitely. Enjoy your night. So that was my conversation with Danny Warsnop. Uh, once again, want to thank him uh, for taking the time to chat with me uh, on a show day uh, in the back lounge of a bus. Uh, I... I always love talking to the dude. Uh, I, I don't know if longtime fans of his enjoy our conversation. Sometimes with bands like that, with that have the fandom that asking does, uh, sometimes I can see some people being like, eh, you know, they, you didn't ask about whatever it is. Um, but I do feel like it's, it's in, it was interesting to me because I do feel like not saying that he's not interested in this new record that the band just put out, but I think it is... I think it's really interesting to, to think about someone who went about making a record where they the whole task was to be of fan service, to make something the fans wanted versus something that they wanted, which I think ultimately is way fucking harder. I mean, Danny even said as such, it's way harder. And I guess if I would have kind of maybe been thinking a little bit more in the, in the presence about it, I think a question I would have asked would have been like, what does that look like from a, a lyrical perspective? Because... I can imagine if you are looking at your whole output or looking at what fans are saying, which is we want these parts or we want it to sound like this record or whatever, that what inspires what? Like, do you just kind of start going, okay, it needs to be this kind of a melody, like these songs, the guitars need to do this and it needs to do these parts. And therefore it's almost more paint by numbers from a, from a lyrical perspective 
uh, was it less was it less engaging to to kind of write from that perspective because I I I, I don't know I, I I don't there's more questions I have now because when I go back and listen to the record I'm just like huh like those are the things now I'm wondering and thinking about is like how was the the lyric writing process for you because if you're being handed a piece of music and you're you're kind of writing to it and you're trying to 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 do something that you you know the fans want does that steer you in a different direction than where you actually would want to go with a vocal melody or a song idea or whatever? And, and honestly, I, it, for me, it doesn't really take away from the record itself. Uh, I, I think it's still a really good sounding record. It sounds like an asking record to me. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued once this gets out. Uh, cause I, I don't think I've seen, anyone else that's had Danny on their podcast, you know, him saying these same things. Uh, so I would be intrigued to see how people respond to the record after the fact. Um, and that was kind of the other reason I wanted to wait a little bit after the record came out to put out this chat. Cause like I said, obviously when people are doing press around an album cycle, you know, you kind of get into some of these samey answers and so forth. And if there was more of like the same thing of like, you know, that he said during this, I didn't necessarily want to just keep compounding onto it. Uh, but if he didn't, then maybe it would allow the person or people after a few weeks of listening to this record to maybe take it in a different way. And and that's something I've talked about quite a bit on this show is taking in albums and music in different ways. So like obviously track listing and so forth are very important, but sometimes it's interesting to hit shuffle on a record that you know or that you're getting into and maybe a song that you're not into now suddenly gets married next to a song you do like and and suddenly now you're like I, I kind of fuck with that song a little bit more and it just is interesting to take in art in so many different ways because of what it can and hopefully show you uh, if you're willing to take the journey so I would be interested to see uh, if anyone feels differently about this record after hearing this conversation uh solely from the when i listen to it now it makes me feel this way um gonna start wrapping up this episode though uh if you would like to keep up with asking alexandria you can follow them at asking alexandria on facebook asking alexandria on instagram and aa official on twitter on all of their social medias there is a link tree which literally has everything you could want or know or deal with uh, with the band uh, all the various stores to to buy the various copies of this album on vinyl, uh, whatever country you're in. Like, it is probably one of the most extensive link trees to get to all of their stuff that you could possibly want. Uh, I thought about just including the link tree in here, but honestly, if you're going to go check those out, just literally click it. Uh, you will have access to whatever uh, at that point, uh, if you like keep up with Danny, you can find him on Instagram at Danny Warsnop and Twitter at Danny Warsnop as well. If you would like keep up with the podcast, you can find us simple enough at Bruce Speak Pod on all your major social media networks. Uh, we're, we don't have threads. We're not on TikTok. We're not on. I'm sure there's some other stuff. Um, basically, if it's not like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or X, whatever the fuck you call it now, uh, I'm, I'm not going to start engaging in new forms of social media. Um just is what it is, man. I'm old and I don't want to. <laughs> or you can uh, email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com if you have any guest suggestions, comments, or anything like that. Uh, all greatly appreciated. Uh, if you would like to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to this podcast on, uh, that is also appreciated. Uh, I've been seeing overseas, uh, oddly. Uh, I've been doing very well in like Russia, in Malta, 
uh, and a handful of other countries. Uh, it, crazy, honestly, to see it and to see it still charting so high up. Like, I think in Malta, like at, at the most, I think it was like the number fourth podcast uh, for a little while and still holding strong in the top 25. Uh, Russia was, I think, in like the top 30 or so. Like, it's been crazy. Um, so thanks to everyone who's been listening to the show or is continuing to listen to it or share it or whatever. Uh, it's all greatly appreciated on my end. Um, and without further ado, uh, I want to thank my podcast sponsors, Rockabilia. Uh, use our code BRUTALLY at checkout and take 10% off your total purchase order. I just actually hung out with Frankie uh, from Rockabilia a couple of days ago in Milwaukee. I might do a quick little like birthday mini episode recap thing just because there's a lot that happened. Um, so figure I might do that. And uh, Starving Artist Brewery uh, for once again giving me... All the beer, uh, fucking everything they put out is great. Uh, I just saw that they are getting barrels for next year because uh, they're about to close up uh, for the season because it's about to be winter out here in Michigan. So they only have a few more uh, weeks of being open. Uh, but very much looking forward to seeing uh, what they're going to be doing moving forward and maybe catching Andrew at some shows and maybe talking about uh, a beer for the podcast. Um, so we'll see. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. I will talk to you all next week where we have a quickie chat with Matt Young of King Parrot. That was great getting to catch up with him uh, while they were on tour gearing up for the Pantera shows. Jesus Christ. Uh, can't wait for you guys to hear that, and I will talk to you then. Enjoy the rest of your week.